As you know, our theme this Advent is bringing joy to the world, and Advent is a word that means arrival. So what we are celebrating, when we talk about celebrating Advent, is we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the, uh, of the Messiah. And so we are remembering who brought joy to the world. Jesus. We are remembering this Jesus who is called Messiah and King of Kings. It's interesting that in the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke are really the only ones that give any stories of the birth of Jesus. Matthew is specifically written to the Jewish believers at that time. And so everything that Matthew writes and puts into his Gospels, he has in mind these Jewish Christians. And so you even see that from the very beginning when uh, in Matthew 1.1, it says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, all of us Don't get really too excited about genealogies, but in Jesus' time and for Jewish people, genealogies were everything. It showed you that you belonged and you were an Israelite. You are one of uh, the Jews, the chosen. But it's also important for us to notice that he starts off by saying, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham, because He is wanting his Jewish readers or listeners to know, hey, you know the prophecies that were told by the Old Testament guys? Of course, they didn't call them Old Testament guys back then. But by by the prophets of old, you you know, they, they said that he has to be in the lineage of David and he's got to be in the lineage of Abraham. And so from the very beginning, Matthew is letting us know, or letting the Jewish believers know this, that this Jesus, this Messiah, this one who came and lived among us and then died and rose again, this is the Messiah that all the prophets have been talking about. And then let me show you. And then he goes and he shows the lineage of, of, math, uh, of Jesus. Now, Matthew focuses primarily on Joseph's story here. And this is where we find out about Joseph's real involvement and what happened from, from his vantage point. And so we, we get the lineage, and then it tells how Joseph, we, we hear the story about how Joseph is like, finds out that Mary's pregnant, he's going to quietly divorce her, he has a dream of the angel of the Lord who says, don't, this is the chosen one, this is the Messiah, and so Joseph follows and is obedient, and then Matthew says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And so we see here that for a Jewish person, it was all about the prophecies. It was all about them being fulfilled, and Jesus fulfilled them. Matthew jumps right into, after he talks about Joseph, he begins and talks about the Magi, which we have 
heard about before. And so I'm going to read from Matthew um, 122. Sorry, my slides have gotten all messed up. That's because I don't have Matthew, one, uh, Matthew 2 on the slides. So I'm going to read. You can listen. You can turn into your Bible to Matthew 2. It's really easy to find. Uh, so I'm going to read Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, most scholars agree that these Magi probably came from Babylon, which is where, uh, and probably come from the school of Daniel, and a, a school that he set up way long time earlier when he was there. And so these Magi probably are, are, have Jewish roots and Jewish heritage and are from Daniel. It goes on to verse 2, and asked... So the Magi came east, east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So Jerusalem was a pretty big city, but anytime three guys come in and they're of some importance and they're asking a question uh, like... Um, where is the one who was born king? You know word's going to travel. And so word traveled around and eventually got to King Herod. And so naturally, King Herod is probably a little perturbed, right? Because he's king. And there's supposedly a king born right under my nose. And so he wants to know about this. So in verse 4 it says, When he called together, this is King Herod, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So he's saying, go look at the prophets. What are the prophets telling you? And so they went and looked and they said, he was born in Bethlehem. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Herod knows. This is where I'm going to find this Messiah. So, not to go barging into Bethlehem, he seeks out help from the Magi. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yes, Herod was telling a lie. He was doing deception. He didn't want to go worship this new king. He wanted to get rid of the king. So, verse 9, after they had heard the king, the Magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then he opened their treasures, they opened their treasures, and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
So the Magi came looking for a king. They brought gifts of the king. You've probably heard before the symbolic meaning of these gifts. Gold representing that he's a king. That's what you give to a king. Frankincense was... um, represented his priestly nature that this Messiah is a priest and then myrrh which is representing his death because myrrh was used when they embalmed people but for others there is also a very practical thing around these gifts and I think that that's what God does for us all often we are blessed and are gifted and sometimes they're very symbolic gifts in whatever way but also there's a practical piece because they had to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt and they spent time in Egypt to get away from King Herod so the gold money used to buy things so they get set up frankincense was also used for medicinal purposes So in their travels, going to a new country helped out in that way. Myrrh was also an antiseptic anointing oil. Both frankincense and myrrh were very expensive, so they could even sell them if if they need. So there was some real practical pieces to these gifts along with the symbolic things. But in all of this, the Magi came bringing, expressing joy to the world. This week we're going to, we've been kind of bouncing off of the song Joy to the World. Last week we looked at, quickly at the first verse, and this week the second verse goes like this, joy to the world, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains Repeat the sounding joy. The composer Isaac Watts is, tells us to sing out with joy. Sing joy to the world. And why? Because the Savior reigns. That's why. So, if you remember last week, we talked about... Um, We need to make room for the king. Make room in your heart for the king. Well, this week we're going to talk about recognizing the sovereignty of the king. That the king reigns. And I I think it's it's great how he says, let men their songs employ. And and in other words, let's put these songs to work. Let's, Let's make them happen. Sing it out. Sing out songs of joy and when we sing out the joy, all of creation will repeat the sounding joy. I mean, we don't get that. I mean, seriously, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, we, we don't get that. But if we walk out into all of creation, all of creation says that Jesus reigns, that he is king. As I said last week, Isaac Watts, the composer, took this from Psalms 98. And so verses 7, 8, and 9 in Psalms 98, we see this. It says this, Let the sea resound and everything in it. 
the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. For the psalmist, all of creation sings together for joy because Yahweh reigns. And this Yahweh will come and judge with righteousness and with equity. Our world, we, we witness people judging all the time, but it's not with righteousness and it's not with equity or equality. It's definitely out of balance. A kind of a simple way of how we judge sometimes out of inequity is... I was thinking of this as I grade papers for this PSEO class. It's, on, it's a class that I'm teaching that's on philosophy. And uh, I have these students, and sometimes I find myself, as I'm reading their paper, I'm influenced by their participation or lack of participation in class. It's sometimes hard for me to set aside. I've, I've got a little something that I'm judging their paper with out of their personality rather than just reading their work. And so kudos to you teachers who do this all the time that are judging or judging, reading papers, grading papers. I, I know it's a simple illustration, but it's one that sticks out for me. We, we judge all the time through our filters. The Sovereign Lord is a righteous judge. And he judges equally. There is no favoritism. He judges all the same. So this week, we're going to talk about recognizing the sovereign king as we bring joy to the world. And sometimes this topic of sovereign king is a little harder for us to stand, understand here in America because we're used to a republic or a democracy. We're used to us having a voice and having a say in what goes on where in a kingdom where there is a king, the sovereign king has rule. The sovereign king has the final voice. It is the sovereign king who determines what is right and wrong. And so as we talk about this sovereign king, there's three things I, I think we need to know, and that is one, um, the sovereign king's word is final. So if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and recognize His reign, I acknowledge that His word is final. Whatever his laws, whatever his judgments, his words are final. The second thing is this, not everyone obeys the sovereign king. So you can have a kingdom and have a sovereign king, but not everybody in the kingdom obeys or follows the rules and they face consequences. But it's the sovereign king who determines that. And the last thing is, if you are... Given authority from the sovereign king, you have authority. And sometimes we forget about this in our remembering that Christ reigns is that He has authority and He has given us some authority and we have authority, not because of ourselves, but because 
He reigns and we are part of His kingdom, and we're going to see that in a few moments. And so, as we move forward, I just want to say this. Jesus is the sovereign King. Do you recognize Jesus as a sovereign king? Because, really, the only way we can bring joy to the world is when we fully recognize Jesus as sovereign king. Now, Ephesians, Paul talks about this and In context, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and the people there think that, and in most of uh, the towns around there in that time, most of them think that there are many gods. There's gods over fertility, and gods over the harvest, and gods over provision. There's, There's gods for everything, and you worship or you appease whatever God to get what you're going in. So in this backdrop, Paul introduces or reminds the church in Ephesus that there is one God and Christ is sovereign. In Ephesians 1, towards the end, there's a prayer that I pray most Weekends for the benediction. And in that prayer, you've, you've heard me say, or it, and it's just repeating Paul, where he says, he prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, that we may know the hope he's, we've been called to, that we know the glorious inheritance that we have with all the saints. And then he says this, starting in verse 19 of Ephesians 1, he says this, and that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and listen to this, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Notice what God did when Christ died and rose again and he ascended, God seated Christ at his right hand, the place of authority. He put Christ there. In the heavenly realms. And then Paul goes on into verse 21. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, church in Ephesus. The God of fertility? Down here. The God of the harvest? Down here. Jesus? Yeah, way far above. I love that Paul doesn't just say above. He says far above. To remind the church in Ephesus far above. In other words, church in America, all the gods we worship, the gods wealth and prosperity and rights and freedoms and pleasure and entertainment, they're way down here. Jesus, far above. These are under the authority of the reigning king. And he goes on, Paul says, it doesn't end there. And he said, God placed all things under his feet and pointed him to be head over everything for the 
church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do, do you see this? God places everything under the feet of Jesus Christ and pointed Jesus' head over everything for the church, his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Can you imagine the ramifications if we, the church, grasped the fact that God raised Jesus and placed everything under his feet and made him head over everything for us? The fullness of him. We are the fullness of God through Christ Jesus. In other places, Paul talks about us being ambassadors. That we are living in a foreign country and we are ambassadors. And if you think of an ambassador, when the ambassador in another country, they have an embassy. The land that embassy is on is under the authority of the homeland. So the U.S. embassy in France That property is under the jurisdiction of the United States of America. All authority from the U.S. has been given to the ambassador there. Just think of that. You and I, we the church. This this right here, all that we are, is under the authority of Jesus. And we have been given that authority Paul goes on to talk and just remind the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, as for you, you were, past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins. Let's just remember where, all, where, where, this, where this all started. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words... Before you surrendered your life to the sovereignty of Christ, you were under the ruler rule of the gods of this world. Okay, so let's just remember where you were. All of us, ooh, Paul now just points to himself too, lived among them at one time. We all at one time gratified the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, but love but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved so in other words church christ raised authority over all For the church, the fullness, all of that happened, and we didn't have one part in it. We just are recipients of it. When we recognize 
Jesus as sovereign king. Hmm. Let's move on. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Listen to that again. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where are we, church, seated? With Christ. At the right hand of God. So all authority, all dominion given to Christ, because He's seated at the right hand. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with. So, what does that mean? You and I have been given authority, not because of our own, but because of what God did through Christ. We have been given authority. So when I say, when I recognize that Jesus is sovereign king, and I go bring joy to the world, I do that in authority and power. Where there is despair, we, we can bring hope. Where there's hatred, we can bring love. Where there is anxiousness, we can bring peace. Because we, church, are the fullness of God. And we, church, sit at the right hand, the place of authority with Christ. Why in the heck did God do this? Well, Paul tells us, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast again. All of this is not because of me or because of you or even because of us collectively. It's all because of God. It's all because of what He did. We have to remember that. We have authority because of what God did through Jesus Christ. And we are the fullness as a church. The church, we are the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. So shout for joy. Bring joy to the world. That should cause us to go into this world. No matter what's going on in this world, it should cause us to shout for joy because Jesus is sovereign king. And then the last thing, Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses of all time. For we, church, we, us, we, We are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, or in some translations, to walk in good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've got work to do, people. We, the church, under the authority of the sovereign king that of over 
all things. We have work to do. God has prepared it. What is, are those works, some of those works, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It means when we go into the world, no matter what we're facing, because Jesus is sovereign, I can go with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control in my life. Why? Because I am seated at the right hand with God, with Jesus. And he is sovereign king. Uh, Love God and love others. I can love my enemy. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign and I am seated with him at the right hand of God. In the fullness of God. The work, we are to make disciples who make disciples. We, church, can do that. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign king. Caring for the poor and the orphan and the widows, even if I don't have much in my own pockets, I can do that. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign king and we, church, are the fullness of God. Are you getting it? Are you hearing it? We can do anything, any work that God has called us to do. Again, not because of me, not because of you, but because God has raised Christ up and seated him over everything for the church. We are the fullness of God, and he raised us up and seated us at the right hand of God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are sovereign king, and today we recognize that. And we shout, joy to the world. Joy to the world. Jesus, you are sovereign. And I pray, Father, that you would help us get us a vision of what that means to be the fullness of God as a church. Empower us, Father. Give us boldness to do the work that you've called us to do. Give us boldness to leave this place and go into our neighborhoods and our workplaces bringing joy to the world because all authority and power has been given to you, Jesus, and we are seated with you at the right hand of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.